0: Okay. <clears throat> so uh, my, my job for the first 10 minutes is to make you, uh, feel comfortable. I would appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: that'd <be great. laughs> Um, uh, yeah. Is it, it, if there's anything in particular that you're really anxious to talk about, I'm happy to talk about anything. If there's anything in particular you're anxious to not talk about, I'm happy to not. Talk no, about no, just,
0: to. we'll just go for it. Cool.
1: Kick ass. But yeah, it's your show. You're in charge. I'll just basically be like asking questions where the interest leads me to. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, uh
0: how do I properly pronounce your last name? Oh, it's Peters. Peters. Yeah. It's so straightforward. Not really. My my grandmother's shortened. Are we on right now? No. Oh, okay. We're just we're doing levels, right? Yeah. Okay. Great.
1: Oh, great. Please finish. Where what did your grandmother short? Oh from?
0: well, um yeah, my last name is Peters, but it's spelled P-I-E-T-R-S. Yeah. And my grandmother who never wanted to go by grandma uh, or her name uh, Florence? She wanted us to call her Gigi, which didn't stand for anything. Yeah, um, she shortened it. She shortened it from Peterszinski to to Peters. So she gave she cut off the Zinski, but also made it a spelling that nobody gets right.
1: Yeah, my uh, I don't know if our, our grandmas are probably not age we're definitely not age compatible because my. I call her my grandmother, but she's actually my great grandmother. Okay. Um, but she and all of her, her brother and all of her sisters, uh, their birth name is not at all what any of them went by. It, it's this weird generational thing. Yeah. When nobody goes by their real name. I kind of, I don't know if this is true or not, but I suspect at least with like, with the the Italians in my family, I suspect it's like a folk thing of like not letting your real name like if people don't use your real name, then uh, whatever, like you can't get the evil eye or something like that. Okay. But I have no idea. That's just, I made that up.
0: Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I, I should probably, um, I should probably ask uh, Gigi passed away a couple of years ago and um, I never really got an explanation from anybody why she wanted to go by Gigi. Yeah. Cause it didn't stand for anything at all. Yeah. Um, but she, uh, she was a, uh, I, she she was a painter or kind of an outside artist painter. Um, very, a, pr- a pretty awful painter. Um, actually, it's kind of cool when you look at her paintings now because they're, I don't know, they're bad because they don't really look like what it is that she was trying to paint. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's also what's kind of cool about it. Yeah. So she signed everything GG. So I, I, when I moved to New York, she was always talking to me about maybe trying to get her a show, Uh you know, when automatically, when you move to New York, people just assume that you have, you've got the connections in, in everything that New York is known for. So, you know, I could just pick up the phone and get her a, get her a gallery show in New York. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that, that was Gigi.
1: My, my, my great grandmother was born Adelina, but she went by Nellie. Her daughter, my grandmother, uh, went by Rita, but her name is Vincencina. I don't know where Rita comes from. Okay. It comes out of nowhere. It's just, I don't know. It's
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, my 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 other grandmother uh, went by the name, uh, just went by the name Sonny. Yeah. Just, that w- it wasn't even like a nickname. It's just, she just called herself Sonny. So.
1: S-O or S-U? Uh, S-U. S U. Yeah. That's a nice, that's a figure. Actually,
0: maybe it's S.O. God.
1: I, there's some Sonnies in my family, but I, I always assumed that that was like the traditional firstborn son. Is, right,
0: right. Sonny. Yeah, that's actually my daughter's name is uh, is Sunny with a U. Hmm. Uh, it was a, kind of a perfect, able to, to, she's half Korean, and so son is a, is uh is big and it uh, means a lot of things in in korean and then i was also able to use my grandmother's nickname so. that's lovely
1: yeah i i assume we're recording Listening to the Magnet Podcast. Oh yeah! All well, right, this is the Magnet Theater Podcast. How's I'm it your, going? I'm your host Louis Cornfeld. How's it going? My guest today is <laughs> uh, a veteran musical megawatt performer, uh, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and say it: man of intrigue, Roman Peters. <laughs>
0: Is that uh, is that, is, is everybody, isn't everybody a person of intrigue? Then yeah. That's...
1: Some, some more than others though. Okay. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll tell you why I said that because, well, first I should say you perform every, uh, you perform with musical. I with warm blooded. Yes. Uh, you've been around the scene, been part of musical. I for, for a few years.
0: Yeah. I was, I, I thought the question might came, come up. So I was looking into old emails yeah. to see how long it's been. And, and I saw one from 2012 and then I was just, I, I I think I prefer maybe not to know, know when I, it all started. Yeah, uh, I hear that. It's better to because I feel like I should be actually a, a true master of my craft craft at this point uh, for it being so many years. Uh, but may, maybe it with improv, it's like the longer you do it, you just get used to just feeling like you're never getting any better.
1: I, w- I wonder. I wonder if there is a. I wonder if you if you achieved that. I wonder if there would be any satisfaction to it, or if it would be like the hollow, the hollow center. You're probably right. Yeah, it, 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 improv is one of the 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 one of the things where feeling totally confident with it almost seems to take away part of
0: part of the joy of what it is. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. There there wouldn't be any payoff if you weren't always confronting some. Some inner demon yeah is that is that is that an accurate description of, of, <laughs> yeah, your, of for your experience? me really for me yeah i i uh, I, I always uh, you know I, I i'm sometimes in in the little musical community i'm I'm known for some pretty outrageous choruses, mm-hmm. and when asked how I come up with them it's just I have no idea I just I open my. I go to the front of the stage and I open my mouth, yeah. I, and and everything else turns off. So it's it's basically like um, it's kind of like speaking in tongues, but uh, with a little bit of English language applied.
1: Is are, do you do you legitimately not have an idea when you step downstage?
0: Sometimes, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's kind of like an exorcism in a lot of ways. Doesn't always work. Sure. A, a lot of times, I have to just speak in tongues. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So, so I, <clears throat> then I have two questions about that. Okay. One is what prompts you to make the move to go downstage at that moment?
0: Hmm. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I'm probably, I have more of a musical, musical mind than I do a, a lyrical or I should say, I, I think l- lyrically I'm, I'm, I'm okay if I have a little bit of time to think, mm-hmm. but it's not how my mind works. I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm more interested to see what kind of melody I come up with on the fly, mm-hmm. and then kind of the words are more of an afterthought. Mm-hmm. So I'm usually moved by the music, and I guess I've, I've been doing it long enough that I'm at least confident enough that when I open my mouth, some sound is going to come out, yeah, and if there's not a word that makes sense, then I can sing gibberish and sell that, yeah, so i guess i'm i'm confident in my abilities to uh sell a non idea
1: i i i've had um i have like a uh a theory but I've been in a few shows where the thought has crossed my mind. It's almost like a bell goes off and it's like now, right now. And it's just this kind of like impulse in your feet. That's like step out and, and speak right this second. And it kind of like, it happens before you know exactly what you're supposed to say or what the reaction is, but it's just this kind of like, Timing thing. You just yeah, feel yeah, a part of your brain that says like this is the time. You, you're like tuned into the rhythm. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there are these like perfect moments in a show where the audience is responsive to you, not
0: even because of what you're doing, but because that timing is so spot on. You're, yeah, you're, you're, I think that's. Uh, I, I think that's a big part of it, too. It's 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 almost like in a in a show, time is moving is moving much slower probably than, than it appears to the audience. So if there's any hesitation at all, uh, I think the performers are, are hyper aware of, of that, of that space. Yeah. And, um, and you, you can lose a lot of momentum if you're, if the rhythm's off just a little bit.
1: The opposite of that is true too, where, where you're kind of so determined not to, not to waste time that yeah. you're, you're moving and the rhythm is off with the way that you're, you're, you're pushing too
0: hard. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a fall victim of that yeah. often. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm more of the hesitation person. Myself. <laughs> <Okay>. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of the, um, I'm, I'm kind of the make a mess guy yeah. and, and, uh, and figure it and out and then let everybody else, uh, just clean up after me. What would be an example of like a chorus that you would come up with? What, what what's one that kind of came to you as you were doing it? Um, Oh man. I, you know, I really, um, I, I like repeating, I like repeating things, um, kind of ad nauseum. Uh, so like for like a container, uh, for a, a show about a, uh, the container store, it would be like, um, it would be like, put it in a box, put it in another box, put it in another box, then another box, mm-hmm. you know, just uh-huh. <clears throat> keep going, 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 going. And, uh, and then and then the team has to remember what I sang, um, so I also kind of like that too. I, I generally don't remember what I sang, so yeah. it's 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 also kind of fun to see what everybody remembers from what I said. Yeah, that
1: it, that's interesting. So so when you're when you're doing that, I, I guess like the part of your brain that's responsible for short term memory is like not a hundred percent online. Is that like a <laughs> yeah. fair thing to say? Right. They. I, I'm like. I don't know if you, if you ever get this when you're playing, but, but sometimes I'll kind of be, a, what's like the right way of saying this? Sometimes it feels like there are choices in my brain that feel like sincere choices and other choices that feel like insincere choices. And I'll kind of vaguely sense that I'm getting ideas from different parts of my brain when I'm improvising. Some of them are kind of like tucked away in like short-term memory and I've kind of planned them out a little bit. And then there are other ones that seem to just kind of like pop into your mind and And the ones that pop in are kind of the exciting ones, but they there are definitely times where it feels like one part of my brain is inhibiting another part of the brain and right. I'm getting by just because I'm experienced enough to get by, but what I'm doing right now is not strictly improvisation, it's me kind of using my wits
0: yeah, yeah, it's almost like if you don't if you don't act on that that first that first impulse that the idea popped into your head yeah that's when the that's when that conversation starts to happen Yeah, and then it's almost like you've missed your opportunity for it to be completely fresh. Yes. Right.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> and, and so it, like, I, I'm really interested, I'm interested in, in you stepping downstage and opening your mouth without an idea because I've, I've given myself that challenge sometimes where like kind of in my head, the goal is to, to get to the point where like, I just legitimately have no idea what's going to happen next. And so a few times I've like tested myself to see what happens if I just walk out and start speaking. And usually what happens is you come out uh, 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 empty and then you open your mouth and there's something that immediately gets in the way. It's not like true. It's not like innocent emptiness. It's a kind of like lack of idea. And right as you open your mouth, nothing happens you become hyper aware of nothing happening and then right. you like fill it in with something that's kind of insincere and kind of fake and is a little bit of a, of a panic button move. It, it reminds me of like trying to j- jump off a diving board and choking at the last minute. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that <clears> moment. <throat> so I'm really curious about like that experience of letting yourself just let go and come out of an innocent empty place and, and just let it out.
0: I think it's, I think it's much easier with music at least for me yeah um, because I can well I, I would say even non musically if I'm ever in that total panic panic mode I think you can always you can always um, admit a, like a truthful feeling that you're feeling you mm-hmm. can it you can that's when it's good to connect to to your emotions mm-hmm. and if you're feeling insecure if you're feeling um, like what you what's going to come out of your mouth is going to sound stupid. Um, that, I think that's when you can kind of play to your own experience. Mm-hmm. And, and you can almost have like a little bit of a therapy session in, in the presence of an audience by admitting some things that are going on inside of you um, because you were so consumed by the emotion that you didn't, that your brain couldn't think of anything like witty to come up with. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and music is so uh, emotionally based. Uh, You know, if I walked out and couldn't think of anything, I could just be like, Oh no, I can't think of anything to say, you know, like I just, uh, that would be true. Uh, And, We'd somehow have to make that work because that's what I said, yeah um, talking um, you could maybe filter you could filter what you were feeling uh you 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 could use your your character if you're you know in a, if you're talking to your wife or you could be talking about your insecurities uh as a provider for your family or, you know, whatever is kind of like on your mind. I don't like to do it a lot, like where I'm kind of bringing my own shit that I'm kind of thinking about or Mm -hmm. like the email that I shouldn't have read, like before I got on stage. Mm -hmm. But like, I think when you're in panic mode, sometimes that can help.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, Well, that's like a very beautiful thing because it instantly like lifts your, your spirits being, because, because to open your mouth and, and and make a melody on the spot like that it, it means that even with an absence of an idea, it's just pure commitment that's coming out there. And and there's still a wave for you to ride with that. I think that's like one of the things that um, musical improv has a, has a leg up on over non-musical improv is that it's much harder to commit in that way to lack of an idea because you suddenly kind of, it kind of implodes in on you a little bit. There's yeah, a feeling yeah. of, of wanting to deny that you don't want people to see that you don't have an idea. So instead of leaning into it, embracing it, and and celebrating that in song, you try to kind of cover it up. You, you know, you 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 put on you put on perfume so that people don't smell your stink a little bit in musical, in non musical. Oh, non musical. I think in musical, but you you're able to express that with good spirits and and even yeah. sing about how you don't have a song to sing.
0: I think there's like a, but I think there's like a musical equivalent of what you're talking about, yeah. And and that's, um, and you see it a lot with people that are just starting out doing musical improv. It's um, they, they almost um, it's the the song isn't connected to an emotion. Actually, this and this is a a problem that people who have been doing it for a long time have too. But, um, early musical improvisers, uh, still kind of think that. It's funny, just the fact that they're singing. Yeah. So it's almost a way out. It's a way out of of having any kind of real connection. Yeah. Just by uh, by singing something. So. You know, depending on your, I think you can you can perfume it more, uh, if you have some uh, musical chops, but it's pretty transparent when it's something I notice. Yeah first thing, like when I'm, when I'm watching, it's, it's hard for like a musical it's hard for musical improv to really kind of move me in, in a way that, um, I guess I've become a little bit more jaded. I don't really like to watch it as much as I like to do it anymore because mm-hmm. I'm so like aware of, of how people are just using a song to, um, kind of not have like a, not express something real.
1: Do you look, you look to be moved when you watch shows? that that sounds like a dumb question but i'm i'm um yeah i do with it. yeah me too uh yeah and and i feel the same way i like i i it it's a little harder to watch improv shows these days
0: yeah it really is it's almost impossible yeah. mean, you have, you put, you have to do it more than i do i almost i i almost can't just can't handle it anymore
1: not so much for me, but there there was a point where I, I had to watch a lot of improv shows, and um, I, I was talking with with somebody recently about like when you go to see scripted theater, one of the one of the like problems is you end up like seeing the same two emotions over and over again, you know, like so much scripted theater is like angry, sad, revelation, right? You know, and um, I don't know if that's true. I don't see enough theater to to make that. To make that that broad assumption, but but the gist of that feels like the handful of shows I've seen are like okay, I'm I'm expected to feel this thing now, and I feel kind of similarly with a lot of improv shows that it's like unexpected and delightful when you're moved by something, but more often than not, you just get the kind of one note in a show. It's just we're we're attacking a joke in this particular way. Yeah, it's
0: because it's just like a detachment, mm-hmm. and it's uh, I mean, there's so so many. Um, so many brilliant people doing improv comedy. And I think that they have that ability to uh, have this distance uh, from their feelings Yeah. and, uh, you know, really um, kind of master tropes and, and dialogue. You know, uh, I was never one of those kids who could just like recite lines from my favorite movie. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think um, my, my safe place is, is uh going to like a a a highly inflated emotional state um, because I don't really trust that part of my brain that's um non-feeling based. Mm-hmm. But um which which I would say is maybe like one of my strengths. Um, but one of my weaknesses is basically just having that. I, I do wish I had more of that ability to be a little bit more detached mm-hmm. from how I was feeling, just to be able to get words out. I mean, when I get like, when I get nervous, I almost—it's almost like English is like a second language for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I am like that part of my brain just shuts off. I start screwing up my words and uh, past and present tense. It's like it's pretty embarrassing. But I, I
1: would imagine that's a really useful thing to have as a performer—to to to have that so close to your. Awareness. For the longest time, I I I was uncomfortable with the word emotion. Whenever whenever I'd be in a class and people would encourage emotion, or you know, it would always be something that I felt really inhibited about. Because the second I had to stop and think about how I'm feeling, I I would detach from it. I'm a I'm a I'm a verbal player, and um and so getting bigger and really expressive has been a little bit of a struggle for me. But I've kind of come all the way around over the years Where now I sort of feel like emotion is everything, that that is the key to the whole thing. It's just for years it took me a long time to wrap my head around translating that into a language that I could be comfortable with and realizing that it doesn't necessarily have to be, for me, big expressive emotion. It, 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 it's more, as stupid as this sounds, the feel rather than the kind of like right answer. I can't say, Oh, I'm thrilled right now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it just the feeling to me is, is I don't have the words for it, but when I'm aware of what it is that, that dictates the words that I'm saying right now. And as right. long as I stay tuned into it, I don't have to defend it or, or answer to anybody what I'm feeling. I just have to stay tuned into, to feeling it. And the scene will tend to be fine. Tend to, yeah, tend to be fine. But I would imagine it's a real blessing to have it. I mean, I can see where it would fuck with you to to like short circuit your access to words in the moment. But to have it that close to the surface to to let it bubble out of
0: you, uh, um, I, I would that would be a wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's just uh, it's just the way that I, I can't say that it's funny talking about this because. I'm realizing that I, I I need to remember the uh, types of improv shows I like to watch, yeah. or the type of theater I like to watch because yeah. I think it's something that an audience is so much more tuned into than than we are when we're on stage it's um I don't know you have those moments where you're, you're more connected to your um, your feelings and maybe um, maybe less connected to what's funny. Mm-hmm. And it's always it's always uh, kind of shocking how much the audience really responds to uh, like being being real with with, uh, you know, feeling like yeah. just being in it. Um, but I need to, yeah I need to remind myself more that that's that's what I like to see. And so that's how I would like to perform as well. You know, it's. I I my my Tuesday night team is just cracks me up so much. I feel like I'm like I feel like I'm becoming like Horatio Sands on SNL these days. I'm just like like laughing through everything, you yeah. know. And it's like um kind of want to reel that in a little bit.
1: I you know, as an audience member, it doesn't if people are genuinely delighted with each other in a show and having a great time and laughing, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, either. yeah. It, it used to, it doesn't anymore. Now I, I'm I'm happy to see it. If people are are laughing to try to get me to laugh, that's when I get annoyed, right? But I, I if pe- I mean, people's spirits bubbling over in a show, I, that's what it's all about.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's. Uh, I I feel like it's rare. Uh, the the team the team I'm on right now is it's such a joyful it's such a joyful experience being on stage with these guys yeah. that um, I really can't I really can't help myself. I've I'll, I've always done like deadpan like really well. And um, it's totally uncharacteristic for me with this group, just like how much I break, uh, which is which is pretty awesome, you know.
1: Your team now is warm-blooded. Before warm-blooded, you were on legend for for um, quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like your uh, the way that you perform or, or your kind of role on the team is very different than it was?
0: Well. I guess I've always kind of been this, like a little bit more of like an organic, an organic player. Like my, my, um, my sense of humor isn't, doesn't follow like most people's logic. Mm. Uh, a lot of times I'll have to, um, you know, just when joking around with friends, uh, I sometimes have to explain my jokes because they're, they're, they're kind of so, uh, coming around through the back door yeah um, and I think that th- what's what's changed maybe and you know I've, I go through phases in my uh, improv career where I am kind of censoring myself a lot because I feel like maybe uh, may- maybe my team won't s- support it support the idea quite as well or won't really know how to support it because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I would say that on, on warm blooded, I feel like, uh, we also, everybody supports like every idea so well. And, and I feel like tons of support for some of these kind of far out ideas that I'm able to put out there before I have a chance to have that conversation in my head that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. So I would say What's changed maybe is, is that I'm a little bit more spontaneous, mm-hmm. um, but it's also, you know, sometimes, sometimes when you've been with the same group of people for a really long time, you uh, kind of have your roles that you play. And I think I was on legend for so long that I I was just not really, I I, I just needed to kind of shake things up a little bit. Yeah. So you, I, I'm even
1: uncomfortable asking about a person's role on a team because I, while you do, you do end up taking a role on a team, but I think that there's a little bit of a trap there because you should always be flexibly within that role. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: But you should be able to overstep those those bounds whenever you need to. And sometimes when you're with a team for a really long time, you can find yourself doing a, a, an impersonation of yourself.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or
1: or other people automatically defer certain things to you because they know that you've got this one taken care of and, and you end up kind of without realizing it, you just kind of take each other for granted a little bit. And,
0: yeah. It's and, just, it's just laziness. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, and it's where like coach coaches, you know, come in handy to, to challenge your type a little bit. If yeah. you, you know, if it, if people seem like they're stuck. Um, but you know, when you've been on a team for a really long time, it's hard to keep that, keep that momentum and have everybody want to practice and have this like one day a week be like practice time. And, uh, you know, I just think, I mean, I think I was on, I was on legend for about like four years or something crazy like that. And it was kind of got to the point where we were just trying to cheat the system by not practicing and Mm -hmm. it wasn't really helping us. Mm
1: -hmm. What do you, uh, um, how do you like to be coached? Do you, do you like, a lot of hands-on coaching. Do you like someone who kind of tends more to the, the atmosphere in the room and lets you make your own discoveries? Is there like, do you have a preference?
0: I think I like, at least with, with warm blooded, um, I think what we really needed, what uh, Nikita uh, coached us for our, our first year. Uh, and he, I think before he really knew us, he, you know, had went into it with, uh, with, you know, some ideas for us. And uh, we were, it was like trying to, uh, domesticate a zebra, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think he just let us be ourselves pretty early on and kind of, you know, guide the centripetal force, you know, uh, and I, I think that were that served us well just to have the an inner nature of the team be preserved and just kind of steer it very very gradually yeah in in the right direction
1: There's an art to 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 recognizing that and respecting that
0: mm-hmm.
1: Not everybody recognizes that a, that a team will have a unique personality to it, and some people recognize it but don't really. They they come predisposed with their own idea and and want to shape you rather than kind of work around your contours and right. and, and help you kind of succeed
0: on your own terms. Yeah, I think I think other teams I've been on, I I sometimes wish that the coach got a little bit more involved. And, and it's pretty easy to tell when you're watching a group of of people when there's you know one person who's not listening to other people's ideas mm-hmm. much and. Uh, who's kind of zapping the energy of the show. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I think people like that just need also a little bit of retooling. You know, I don't think that's just how they, how they are all the time. It's just, you know, we do things when we're nervous that maybe don't serve the team Mm -hmm. so well, unless somebody tells us that we're doing it. And, you know, so there's other, other teams I've been on. I sort of wanted, uh a coach that would be a little bit more brutally honest and and you know tell people when they're kind of screwing the team over. Yeah. But that's that's tough. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. How would you how would you describe warm blooded to uh to 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 someone who hadn't seen you?
0: Uh, hmm, that's uh let's see. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I just keep coming up with like very general, I mean, we're not weird, but, uh, that's probably a pretty good. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I'd say, um, I would say, uh, passionate, very passionate musicals that, uh, borderline on the obscure. Yeah. Yeah, I'll that's bo- a good bo- description. Okay, <laughs> the uh, so the
1: reason why I introduced you as as a man of mysteries, but not my words; those are your teammate Greg Zahetner's words. Uh, um, I, I just kind of think of the combination of you and Greg Zahetner playing together, uh, mm-hmm. who's who's another wonderful mm-hmm. improviser who has this amazing ability to kind of play off the tip of his consciousness in a way that I really admire. Uh, um. Uh, and, and just with a, with a, a really kind of robust energy to him, just, just this sense of like catching with joy and, and happiness and, and there's just like a pure buzz off him. But he, uh, he described you as, as a, a, a man of mystery. He told me that, uh, not too long ago you had to miss a warm-blooded show because you had to go to Budapest, uh. Uh, uh, because you have a successful walking tour business in Budapest?
0: Yeah, I do. Uh, (laughs) Tell me that. uh, Yeah, it's called, uh, it's called white umbrella tours. Uh, We've got, uh, we've got walking tours in, uh, in Budapest, Paris, Amsterdam, Munich, and Prague. Uh, And, but mostly all in Spanish. (laughs) <laughs> uh, my and my Spanish is is awful. Uh,
1: how did that happen? How did you get? How did you create that?
0: Uh, well, I'm I I uh, I'm a graphic designer, and a friend of mine, a friend of mine had a friend who's living in in Prague, and this guy's best friend w- w- is Spanish and starting this walking tour company, and so I got brought in to. <clears throat> Uh, help with the branding and choosing the name and, and everything. And uh, so, and I'm, I've uh, just took my, took the, some of the money that they owed me and the equity in the company. And so, but it also lets me, I get to go and have these fun trips in, in Europe, like every, a couple of times a year. That's amazing. And uh, it's, it's nice because, <clears throat> well, I, in in a lot of ways doing improv is the thing that I need to do to keep me from going crazy. Mm -hmm. It's probably like that for a lot of people. Uh, I've always been, I've always, uh, wanted to perform. Uh, and I didn't really realize until I started doing improv how much I needed to be doing it a lot. It was kind of like one of the first times that I was really felt just kind of complete in my, in my, uh, professional, like working life, you know, there's, uh, doing graphic design is it's, you know, it's creative, but it's pretty isolating mm-hmm. and, um, I'm a pretty social person. I never really figured out a, a way to kind of have a, a social, uh, job, you know? Um, so I kind of jumped at the chance to work on this project that was going to allow me to travel a little bit and, and, uh, just have this kind of interesting, like international experience. Mm. So. And yeah, it, it creates an air of mystery. I kind of, I kind of like, because I'm not really, I don't really do much at, uh, at the magnet besides, you know, show up on Tuesdays. I, I ended up, you know, having a family, you know, right about the time I joined the, the magnet and it just was harder for me to get involved in, in all the ways that I'd like to be involved in the magnet community. Yeah. So, you know, there's probably a lot that people don't know about me and, you know, I'm, I'm 44 years old. So there's, there's a lot of years of living in New York and, uh, just naturally, you know, every, every year in New York, you know, so much happens to every single person. So I yeah. think I've just got like more of those years than the average, uh, improviser at the, at the theater. So yeah. I guess there's a little bit more to unearth.
1: You, uh, you were in an off-Broadway show for three years.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah. About, about three years. Yeah. That was kind of like, um, when I knew New York was, I, I, I didn't really move to New York with the, um, sole intention of pursuing a uh, performance, but I also kind of knew that if I came here, I would be doing more of it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that's kind of what I wanted. I guess I never really had the guts to just totally go after it, like how some people do, Yeah, but I was, um. My roommates at the time, uh, my roommate's girlfriend, we had this big apartment on uh, 110th Street, Central Park North. And these random people I moved in with, um, my roommate's girlfriend was going to the Columbia Theater Department. And so they were, re- we had this big living room. And so they were rehearsing a, a show in my living room. And on the weekends, I would, you know, put on my roller skates and go to the roller disco in Central Park. And while they were rehearsing in the living room. And I didn't I did know there
1: was a roller disco in Central
0: Park. Oh, yeah. There's a great roller disco in Central <laughs> Park. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. It's like super old school, really funky. Uh, it's awesome. Where in Central Park? Um, like around like 72nd Street, uh-huh. kind of like in the middle. Sure. Um, God, I, you know, it's been so long. I don't even know if it's still there. But yeah. um, like in the wintertime, I don't know if you remember the Roxy. Uh, it was like a club in Chelsea that's no longer, but, uh, all the central park roller disco skaters would, uh, skate in the Roxy in the winter times. And it's just, it's like old New York, you know, Uh-oh. there's, it's one of those things that's, um, you know, New York has a lot of these kind of institutions. They become a little bit harder to find these days, but you know, when you go into one of those restaurants that is like a Sammy's Romanian steakhouse, right. if you've ever been to that, uh, that place But it's, you go in there and it's like, they haven't done anything new to the place like since you know Taxi Driver was filmed like right outside the doors, you know. Yeah, and, um, the roller disco is kind of like that too. It's just some of these characters, it's you don't even know they might just like live in the park. Like there might be like a little cave that they all come out of with their roller skates. And um... anyways, I was going to I was going to the roller disco and they were like, oh, the show that they were working on was kind of like a Midsummer Night's Dream that was going to take place in a disco. And they were like, oh, you know, Roman, do you want to be in our show? It'd be cool if like Puck was like a, a roller skating drug dealer. And uh, so I agreed. And, you know, we ran this like off, off Broadway, like at, at where, where Pianos is now it used mm-hmm. to be the piano shop. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a regular weekend gig there and then did like the Fringe Festival. And then uh, Jordan Roth, who's, you know, now big producer on, on Broadway, uh, it was his first show that he produced off Broadway and and then we had a a long run there and then I went to Europe with it and it's like all of a sudden it was like I was uh, trying to cast people I was you know sitting at a table while professional actors were like auditioning for my part uh, so I could go take the show to uh, uh, Edinburgh and London it's just uh, life just took like this weird weird turn so New York's kind of always been that way for me. Yeah. I've been, I'm always kind of like moving, moving in, in the direction of things that make me happy and, but not really pushing too hard. Mm -hmm. And then things just good things generally happen.
1: Some people seem to have a little bit more of that to their, to their nature, less of a sense of, you kind of know the the right general direction, but, but like, some people seem to thrive better in a, in a more structured goal oriented approach to life. And other people seem to kind of, um, have a little bit more of like a magnetic quality to them where you move in the right direction and you kind of allow things to sort of find you, you let yourself get a little lost or or you you, you kind of trust, you kind of give yourself over to like trusting yourself a little bit.
0: Yeah. I would say I fall into that category more than the, um, the goal category. I could use a little bit more goal setting in my life, I think, but I guess, uh, yeah, can't have it all.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I I suffer from the same (laughs) lack of goal. What was the Edinburgh experience like? Uh,
0: well the, the, um, the, so the show is called the donkey show. And, uh, so we were the, we were just one of, uh, the big acts that was performing for the fringe festival in Edinburgh. And, um, it was a really, really successful run we had there. And then we were able to get a, a a run in London after that. A lot of shows at Edinburgh are, you know, generating press so they can, you know, spin it into a, uh, a London run. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how it worked out for us. So
1: how did you guys go over in London?
0: It was good. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it, it was the, it was kind of a weird show because it was, it was Shakespeare, but it was, you know, using disco songs and the lyrics of pre-existing disco songs to tell the story of, of Midsummer Night's Dream. And there wasn't really a whole lot of this kind of experiential theater at the time, mm-hmm. so when people read that they were going to be seeing uh, some interpretation of Shakespeare, I think they went into it much differently. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, American audiences got it a little bit more quickly. Cause we wouldn't start the show. It, it it always took place in a disco, like a real disco. And we wouldn't start the show until we had the whole audience dancing. Uh, and that was like, it would take us like a half an hour. Sometimes it'd be like forcing people to to dance. <laughs> and, but then when, when we succeeded and we always, we always succeeded, it was an incredibly joyful experience because you know, you're getting people to dance that probably haven't gone dancing since they were, you know, they're teenagers in a lot of cases. So, um, I remember those audiences being a little bit harder to get, but you know, we got so good at it, at getting people on their feet in, in a way that wasn't like offensive, you know, and just fun and just, you know, infectious. So, um and then, you know, once you can do that, you kind of just have them in the palm of your hand in a lot
1: of ways. What was your role in that? How would, how would you go about getting people up on their feet?
0: Uh, <laughs> just dancing in front of them with a, you know, shit-eating grin on your face until <laughs> you they just you know, had to dance. They uh-huh. just couldn't take it anymore, I guess. But, you know, then once you start moving, it's like, you know, we basically are giving everybody permission there was nowhere to sit, so they're already on their feet. Yeah, and we've treated them in the line to get into the club like they're getting into a, a Studio Fifty Four. Uh-huh. Okay, so they're already kind a little bit primed going in, but the music's so good, and and you know we had great DJs, and uh, so it was. After people got to know the show, they you know, you'd you'd start having uh, audience members who had seen it before. And then it would just kind of th- those, those people would end up helping us too. Cause it was, you know, one more person, a couple more people each time that we didn't have to get dancing. They would just start dancing. Mm-hmm. So,
1: so when you, when you're going to, to Edinburgh and then, and then you're touring in London for a while, it does, does your other life as a graphic designer just kind of go on hold? You, you kind of like fall into just working as a, as a professional actor for a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's when I just, you know, close up shop. Yeah. It's, that's always, it's kind of like, um, I think what, what always attracted me to graphic design, well, I was always really into it. Um, but as I, as I started doing it for work, I, I realized that it was how flexible, how flexible it was. And, um uh, it just became, it just became like a, uh, just a great gig to to do, and just very flexible. Yeah. I guess.
1: Y- you have also appeared on ABC's Shark Tank. <laughs>
0: yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I see, yeah. I see you are going with the uh, Man of Mystery. Our Man of Mystery.
1: You got this. this many sides to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, so my my wife and I were um, well when we were dating. We we it was like kind of the early days of these kind of alternative uh, craft fairs. So mm-hmm. there's one that from Chicago called the renegade, renegade craft fair, renegade art fair that, uh, that it was the first year that they did it in, in Brooklyn. And we went to it and, you know, it was lots of like handmade goods, all, you know, kind of priced $20 or under lots of t-shirts and, you know, cool stuff. These kinds of craft fairs are all over the place now. But at the time we went to one and we're like, Oh, this would be so cool. Like just to, she's a jewelry designer. We were like, Oh, we should just come up with something. And, and sell it at one of these, like next time it comes to Brooklyn, like give ourselves a year to make something and, and, uh, sell it at this thing. So we came up with this, um, she, when she would buy her small quantities of chain at the jewelry store, they come on these little plastic bobbins that are disposable, but you know, you kind of wrap the wrap the chain around it, then it kind of pops shut. And, um, she would always use them instead of throwing them away, use them for headphones Keep your headphones from getting tangled up. So, we started making these little uh, sleeves for um, iPods. Mm. Uh, it was kind of pre-pre smartphone, uh, or right right when smartphones were happening. Like right, I think right when the iPhone came out. Uh, but we yeah we started making these little sleeves with uh, with uh, uh, to keep your headphones from getting tangled up. We did them at a craft fair, and then somebody, you know, told us. and We always did really well at craft fairs too. And somebody told us about Shark Tank. The show wasn't on the air yet, so we didn't even know what it was. And they were like, "Oh, you should. Uh, you could. You could make a video and send it to them." So we, I didn't realize that there were these castings that were all over the country, and people were like in line for you know twelve hours to show their product. We just sent in a video, and then got a phone call from these producers, and they were like, "Oh, you know, you guys are." in the finals, you know, to be on the show and they'd want both of us on the phone and we'd be like, all right, yeah, great. And then they would call us back in a couple of weeks and you guys are in the semi-finals to be on the show and just, oh yeah, that's cool. Whatever, <laughs> you know? And then they were, we're going to fly you to LA and be on the show. And just, was, oh, great. You know? So yeah, that was, and then we got there and then they were like, how much money are you going to ask for the sharks for? We'd never seen the show. So we we're like, what are we doing? How much should we ask for? Like, yeah. we don't really even want to do this. <laughs> uh, I mean, we want to be on the show cause it seems fun, but yeah. it's like, I mean, it's people that are going all in on their businesses and we've just got this little silly thing that we made that, uh, I don't know. So we, we kind of went in, we kind of went in blind and, uh, it was, it was, it was cool. I, I still have it. I've, I've watched it once our appearance once, I think it scarred me. 'Cause I can't get myself to watch it a second time.
1: What what about it, Scarnia? Just seeing yourself.
0: Yeah, I think we like, you know, we 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 kind of like crumbled a little bit, uh-huh. you know, like the the producer's job, you get assigned these producers and their their job is to like get you so confident about yourself, they're like, Oh, you, you guys have the best product, like you're totally gonna get a deal. Like we would actually use yours, not like anybody else's, like you guys, you know. And so you walk in there, they you know, you practice your pitch, and you walk in there. And you're just so confident. You're like, I've got this, I've got this. These guys are just going to, they're not even going to ask us any questions. They're just going to start fighting with each other to give us money. And, uh, it's the one thing that they didn't, you don't, they didn't practice the cross examinations. Yeah. They just want your pitch to be really tight. Yeah. So, so what they film is just like you falling apart during the cross examination, which it's is good television, which is exactly what happened.
1: Yeah. What, uh, like what kind of cross, I've never seen Shark Tank. What kind of cross examination do they,
0: well, you know, it was like, <clears throat> you know, budget, like where are you getting these numbers from? And it's just oh, like, yeah. basically like, you know, the producers just told us how much we should ask for, uh, and then, but the big thing was, do you have a patent on this little piece? Uh-huh. And Mary said, no, but we're repurposing it. I mean, we were trying to speak like legal jargon that we had no idea. And uh, I mean, they really could have made us look awful. And they they spared us total embarrassment. I mean, I think we ended up looking like, you know, fun. And, and you know, it wasn't like an embarrassing performance. Um, and then they actually came out a month later and filmed like, we did like the little home visit that they were going to play before, play before our segment. Mm-hmm. So, and just pretending that we didn't know what was going to happen yet. So, I mean, that was, it was a really nice piece that they put together. Um, something my daughter will enjoy watching one day, but I, I haven't, you, I haven't you've, gotten you've... A, I gotten the guts up to, to look at it. Yeah. Cause then, you know, you, you don't get a deal. And then all of a sudden these producers were like your best friends, like won't, like won't make eye contact with you. It's like, they're paid to be your buddies. Mm-hmm. And then when it's done, they're like they're I think they're also trained to, you know, like a breakup. It's just like, just
1: right. Don't yeah.
0: get away. From, just cut off contact.
1: It's probably a little bit like being like a surgeon or something. And just like, uh, uh, numbing yourself to the humanity of the people that you're working with. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's totally. just like a
0: body that you're touching. What what a great experience though! Oh, it was cool. It was really cool. Yeah, um, you know I have, and, you know when when we we got back, when the segment aired, you know we started got tons of orders. It was just I guess you got to like. I think we we let we let this thing go because it wasn't really what either of us wanted to be doing. You mm-hmm. know, my wife's a jewelry designer. She's, you know doesn't want to make you know ipod or iphone cases you know and right. and i it's not how i wanted to be spending my time either but it was like should we be doing something with this like it's like you got to really want if you want to go into um it's like if you want to have a business or have like a product that you're selling it's like you have to really like you have to really love it you know and neither one of us really loved it enough to just keep on selling this thing you know we got the show would air and, and then we'd get all these orders and we'd have to make all these things. And then, and then, you know, a year would pass and then we'd get all these orders from like Finland, you know, they'd be like, you know, running this oh, show. Just aired. Yeah. So it was just, it was just bizarre. I was, you know, and then you're dealing with, we were making these ourselves. So you're like dealing with individuals who are like, just being like bitchy and like, you know, it's just so much energy. It's just, so there were so many different size iPods and like, you know, it was a pain in the ass. Yeah but it, it, it was a, a pretty serious grand finale for this little business idea that we had. How long did it like last in total? I guess like a few years and we still get emails about it. Like, you know, people still want them. I mean, I, th- I th- I'm, I'm surprised that somebody didn't take the idea and like do something with it, you yeah. know, cause it's still like a good idea. It's like, but we, we just, you know, when people needed to see the screens like we just couldn't make those, it was just too technical. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, and our logo was kind of racist also. It was called Mr. Poncho. It was like, kind of had this like little like Mexican looking guy wearing like a poncho, like with like a little iPod uh, headphones bobbing on him. I don't know what I was thinking. The was
1: early in. 2010s were um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. were a different time. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've,
1: we've grown up a lot since I'm the proud, early 2010s. I'm proud of my uh, unpolitical correctness. The time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could do it now. <laughs> Uh, what's the deal with uh, you getting a perm? I came across an article. Oh yeah. Uh,
0: Why? Well, uh, this is probably about ten years ago. Um, a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine, came down with a, a kind of a cancer-like illness, and um, it kind of corresponded with me having really long hair and and always kind of joking about how if I was gonna ever get a perm, like now is the time so i uh I created a, a fundraiser around it um where people could there's probably a better way to to fuel this thing, but it was like with every hundred dollars or every thousand dollars we raised, I would keep the perm for assuming that it would be a ridiculous looking perm mm-hmm. I would keep the perm for another month with every um uh thousand dollars that we raised and uh and a friend of mine is a photographer at the, for the New York times and he pitched the story. And so we actually got some press for this too. So it was, the fundraiser was pretty successful, but then the story came out in the New York times and then we had lots of outside donors coming in. So we had a part, it was a not sure why we had, it was a quiche uh, perm. It was a male perm quiche party. So it was, Uh, We made a bunch of quiches and then somebody came to my apartment and uh, gave me a perm while everybody ate quiche. (laughs) Uh, Actually, pretty awesome now that I say it out loud. Yeah. Uh,
1: Never before have those two things gone together in my mind. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I actually, I was just in a, I was just, I have, I, until recently I had long hair again and, and I was taking a, a cab ride with my daughter, uh, uh, f- from one of the car services at Ikea in Brooklyn. And, uh, the, the, the guy driving was, you know, looking in the rearview mirror and telling me how beautiful my daughter was. And, um uh, really sweet guy. And I think he's from Egypt and he was telling me about how he had, uh, uh, he was born with tiny testicles and, uh, nice thing, a nice, nice thing for your cab driver to be telling you. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, just another <laughs> tiny testicle story. But um, he he, uh, he was um, he was telling me about how he couldn't have how he couldn't have children uh, because his his testicles were so small, or uh, or like I, I can't remember I don't know what the condition was, but he, he needed an operation. He wasn't trying to get money from me, but mm-hmm. it was just like his wife was about to leave him um, because he was newly discovered that he wasn't going to be able to have kids. And I was just thinking to myself, like, all right, male perm part two, I'm going to fucking raise this Help guy this some guy money to like some... get that operation for him. Yeah. And then I didn't do it. Right, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, he's not, re- I mean, a man in need for sure, but he's, he's not your friend. He's, he's a, yeah, he's a, yeah. He's a I just, uh, it, it would have gotten,
0: and there's still no guarantee. You yeah. Know, you, you raise the money for this, uh, Small testicle, the Egyptian man to yeah. get get a surgery, and uh, and then he still has to get his wife to uh, sleep with him, which maybe she doesn't want to do anymore. And, it, it, and There's a lot of yeah, a lot of things that I
1: let's also give her the benefit of the doubt and assume that maybe yeah. she wasn't leaving him because of his tiny testicles. Yeah, but, exactly. But I mean, he he may just not be a great guy to be around.
0: Right, exactly. Like going around telling everybody, telling strangers about his tiny testicles. It's
1: you can only imagine the kind of stuff he he would on un, on un, un burden on his wife.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm lucky that it was just a ten minute cab ride. Who knows who knows what else he would have told me. Yeah. Oh my
1: god. <laughs> well, the perm ended up not looking bad. It wasn't no, a no, perm. it was it pretty cool. Pretty
0: but I, yeah, I actually got uh, it was because the because of the New York Times article, uh, just some different. Uh, Publications were contacting me and one was called naturallycurly.com. Yeah. It's probably still, it probably still exists. Um, but they, they had no interest in the fundraiser. They just, they wanted to interview me about why I wanted to have curly hair because this was like a website that celebrates curly hair. And because most people, lots of people with curly hair are trying to like straighten their hair. Yeah. So they wanted to just know, they uh, didn't ask me anything about the fundraiser. They just wanted to know what was so awesome about having curly hair. What did you tell them? Um, yeah. I, 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 you know, I just told them that it was like, yeah, I just had like a little, like, it was bouncier, you know? It just gave me like a, a spring to my step, you know? It was like wearing, <laughs> like, it was like wearing, like, bikini briefs, you know? You just sort of like, yeah, speaking of small testicles, yeah, uh, you kind of... Uh, I, I guess for like a a, a month there, I was kind of just like floating through life, you know, just with this uh, weightless this weightless haircut,
1: wavier hair, curlier hair does does it, it there there's a lightness to it. Yeah, though to ask a person what they love most about their curlier hair, it, it seems a little odd. It seems a little <laughs> yeah. bit like what do you love most about your brown eyes? Right, I, right, I, exactly. I don't know. I, I, they're dark. Huh? I, they, you can you can fall into them.
0: Yeah. Uh but another great thing about naturallycurly.com was I on when the when the story came out uh on the website, it was uh a picture of me and a and another story about Slash from Guns N' Roses. So oh that's pretty kick Uh probably the only time in my life I'll I'll get to you know share a cover story with Slash. Yeah. Uh, maybe not, but I I was pretty I, I love Slash. So
1: don't close that door just yet. Roman. Yeah,
0: Totally. Yeah. Maybe when Slash is like really old, I can probably convince him to be on a magazine with me. You
1: could probably do it now. You, catch him. <laughs> yeah. you could probably do it now. Uh, so you have, you have a, a family and uh, uh, you have a fascinating life uh, and you have a, a job that you, that you, that you care for. What, what role is improv playing for you these days in your life?
0: Um, uh, well, a big one is it gets me out of the house, mm-hmm. you know, I guess that's which when you have a, when you have a kid, my daughter's, uh, my daughter's four and it's pretty easy to not leave the house, you know, after, uh, you know, bedtime stories and all that. It's like, you kind of have to force yourself to go out. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, so there's a social aspect of it. That's really great. And, and, um, it, it forces me to, I don't know. I I I I, I always kind of wonder why, I mean, there's not too many people in their forties that are still kind of part of the improv community. And I, I've always kind of wondered like why that is. Um, and I still don't really know, except that it's, it's probably that it's just, it's harder to leave. It's harder, it's harder to leave the house. Mm. Um, but I value this so much because it is the, it's kind of like an antidepressant for me, you know, in a lot of ways. Like I really kind of, it's, it's such a, it's such a natural high. Um, I, I need it, you know? And so probably now more than ever, it just creates this balance in my life that I'd be, I feel like I'd be a different person without it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to kind of pinch myself a lot of times that I do get to go in front of an audience and open my mouth up not have any idea what I'm going to say and just, uh, just let it rip. You know, I just can't believe I get to do that. You know, like before I found this outlet, I, if I could have seen myself now, I just would have been so pleased with what I, what I discovered and, and what I've, uh, kind of the, the, the life that I've created for myself. I mean, you get used to it and then you start to, you know, think about other things to complain about, but, you know, occasionally I have to just remind myself just how like, unique this is and, and how, uh, it's such a pure, it's such a pure form of joy that, that comes from it. And not, not like anything that I can really, uh, you know, even, even like rehearse like stage shows don't really come close. I don't think to just the unexpected nature of improv and just, the constant surprises and everything. So, and also just being able to, I think it's really healthy to, I, I think it's easy to feel old unless you have like young friends who you, you, uh, are your equals, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's, I think it's, um, I mean, I definitely feel like I'm having a little bit of a midlife crisis, but, um, I don't know. I think having like, having like young friends who are like my, my peers right? are, it, it's, it's that, that also helps me a lot and just kind of puts like the aging process, like into perspective, you know, I don't know if that's, uh, uh, I just don't know many people that are like as old as me that are still like in the community that are just still doing this and I can't figure out why.
1: Yeah. There, there, I think it's true that when you're, when you're actually, um, sharing the high of improvising together, there is something kind of ageless about it. There's something ageless about the way that your brain is, is operating. Uh, um, Yeah. You know, that's a beautiful thing, man. It, 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 you forget sometimes kind of how privileged we are to get to kind of be unguarded in front of people like y- 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 you kind of begin to take it for granted that not everybody has a portion of their week where they get to drop the, the kind of roles that, that you normally wear just to get by and, and, and just to be like a pleasant person. And you get to let people have a little bit more of a clearer, more intimate insight into just your stream of consciousness.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, it's, it's also like made me like, a much better uh, father or Mm -hmm. more, more fun. And I think, um, you know, probably a lot of people, myself included, you know, follow the fear. It, it, it's, it's uh, absolutely true for me. It's, it's what I I knew improv was something that I would probably uh, get joy from, but it was this terrifying thing, you know, that I knew I kind of needed to move in that direction because like, it's like I'm, Kind of have a predisposition to being self-conscious, like even even in uh, really tr- uh, trusted environments. Um, you know, even with my like closest friends or you know um, my family, it's just you know it's it's a it's a part of my brain that's. Uh, I think I'm just prone to uh, self-editing, and mm-hmm. and uh, it's nice to I- improv has like helped me so much to not think that way anymore Mm -hmm. uh especially you know around like my daughter it's like i can i really think like i really think the pre-improv me like would not have been uh as good of a dad i think i would have been a good dad but like but i just don't i i mean i'm just able to be very like free with, Mm -hmm. with my daughter and like the games that we play and like making up songs and things like that and i just know that I never would have been that way had I not found improv. And I just think it's like, I think improv in a lot of ways is, is grown ups trying to uh, remember how to play like children again. It's something that children do naturally. And as, as we get older, we forget how to do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just, it's just the saddest thing for, uh, for human beings to lose a connection with. You know, cause you just, you look at a group of kids playing and like, they're all playing, uh, you know, uh, doctor family games where they're assuming different roles and, you know, nobody's no kid is not doing it. They just love it so much. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we kind of grow out of it and, and, you know, forget that there's so much, nothing's really changed. That's still fun to do.
1: Yeah. I, I, for, I mean, for a kid, it, it, it's. It, it, that's like their exploratory tool. That's, that's how they are able to like interact, like grapple with the world outside of themselves. And I, I think, you know, at, at the risk of being a little like, uh, like grandiose about it, um, that what happens is you, you, you come equipped with this fl- very flexible mind that's able to play lots of different roles. And then at a certain point you kind of settle on, on kind of one key role and then you forget that you settled for one key role and you kind of mistake that role for for your real self. Right. And uh it gets kind of limiting. It gets a little bit tiring. You can hit a point sometimes where you get fed up with it and you need that you, you need to kind of touch the third rail again of that like exploratory mind and and realize that your mind is capable of rewiring itself lots of different ways, but but like a really healthy playful young mind is one that it, it kind of craves like new experiences and craves yeah, that playfulness. Yeah. I think improv gives that to a person.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Just like watching, like, watching my daughter, like, you know, just, oh, there's a kid. There's a kid that's like my size. I'm going to go, you know, play with that kid. Yeah. And just, you know, ask their name. I mean, it's also like her personality type. She's, she's, uh, she's pretty fearless in those ways, but, uh, But it's it's also like something that's it's kind of like beat it's beat out of us in in a way that, you know, I I just don't want her to like learn that from me. Right. Right. It's like you just want like the the house to be a place where you can just be your you can just be whoever you you wanna be, whoever you are, and not not have to feel like that's not good enough or you know, that that anybody's like uh, critiquing you, you know, when you're at home, you know, it's like uh, th- that's going to happen enough in in a person's life. Yeah, you know?
1: that's very beautiful, man. <laughs> Roman Peters, it's been very nice talking with hey, you. Hey, yeah. pleasure. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for being here, uh, and th- thank you so much for listening to the podcast. A couple of other thank yous. First to our producer Evan Ford Barden, to our engineer Joe Glasgow. Uh, to our executive producer, Ed Herbstman. And again, to today's guest, Roman Peters. I sure appreciate you being here, man.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, hell yeah. That uh, was like a really fast three hours.
1: I know, right? <laughs> I know, It's fast as three hours of all of our lives. <laughs> yes. uh, if you guys enjoyed the podcast, please mention us on uh, on media platforms and whatnot and give us a rating and a shout out on iTunes. That would be great. Uh, magnetheater.com information on classes and shows. You know the deal. Thanks for listening, friends. And
0: goodbye. You've been listening to The Magnet Podcast.
1: This podcast has been brought to you by The Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.